What's up, buds? Radio. I'm your host, Greg Young. And today uh, we got three man call because uh, we have Corey Snyder in the building and uh, I'm here with with Corey and Adam. So, uh, Corey, we'll start with the guest first. Uh, how, how have you been doing today? I've been doing fine, staying busy, catching up on a lot of the teams I didn't watch much of in October. Yeah, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. And uh, hopefully we'll get uh, we'll get we'll get some messages from your dog. Uh, very, I mean, they're very important. You know, so we have uh, we have a high uh, high dog tolerance here on Draper's Rick Radio. So, uh, so, so oh, there. Oh, perfect. Right. Thank you. Wow. It's almost like I had this planned. Um, all right. Well, so uh, String, uh, how are you doing? Uh, doing well, doing well, doing better than the Caps in the third period of their game against Florida. That's yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to toss that right back to you, String, and then uh, Corey will we'll kind of transition to you from there. But uh, the Caps uh, last night, they were cruising along. They were uh, up 4-1 against a uh, dominant Florida Panthers team. And then everything went wrong at once. And uh, they proceeded to give up three goals, get outshot, I think by like 28 or something insane like that. And uh, then bl- give up four goals to not even get a point out of the game. So String, kind of what did you see in the game and kind of what went wrong for the Caps there? Um, well, you know, the Capitals started well and they got they got some somewhat lucky goals, I'd say. I mean, McMichael bouncing the, the puck off of uh, Bobrovsky's back, I thought it was fortunate. Great idea. But, you know, how often does that work out? Um, and, and then they played against, a, you know, the Panthers showed up in the third period. I mean, this is a team that's um, near the top of the NHL, um, 33 points, 12 and one at home. Um, it, it's just kind of tough. Uh, you know, the, the Capitals were due to, for, for a bad period. I mean, I, I'm not reading into it too much. Um, granted it was one of the worst periods I think they've had in, in a couple of years, but, um, I mean, well, it's going to happen, especially with, with the, with an aging core that's had to play a lot of minutes with, uh, their entire second line uh, being out for an extended period of time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess, I guess, Corey, you watch a lot of hockey. So I'm going to give you a uh, the unenviable task of giving Capital Sands. I think I saw some uh, rather panicked reactions uh, to the to the loss, which is, uh, I think, understandable when you watch 20 minutes of absolute frustration, but also maybe he doesn't fit super well with the like, way the Capitals have played this year. And also... I think the other thing that's worth knowing, and I'm sure you can kind of elaborate on this, is that teams blow leads sometimes. That's just kind of the way hockey works sometimes. So I don't know, like, uh, should should Capitals say? I'm gonna I'm gonna ask an absurd hypothetical, like a, an absurd question, and uh, I think you can give it an appropriately absurd response. Should the Capitals panic based on the results of one bad period against the Florida Panthers, one of the better teams in hockey? I mean. I would say they need to panic. I mean, I guess you could be worried about it if you're thinking about hockey in May or whatever, but I don't know. That's kind of what everyone except Tampa Bay Lightning fans are worried about hockey in May, like as far as the team is going to do, because that's 
pretty much like the one team that's the master of locking everybody down when they have a lead. But this is kind of just what happens. There, There's a lot of teams. There's just a lot of teams now that are so similar and so close to each other, at least like going by what I've watched. Like there's a lot of teams hovering around in that 50, 52 expected goals range. A lot of them kind of playing the same way. Florida is a team that absolutely pounds their opponents when they're down in the third period. I don't know. It's kind of a it's kind of a byproduct of like the shot counter in Florida because they do kind of overcount things there. But I did watch that game last night and that was that was just domination. But Florida's done that to a lot of teams like that's just kind of how they play. I mean, I am a little worried about them because they do fall behind a little bit, but they can come back better than most teams. And Washington, like I thought they did an okay job at the road like during the road trip of sort of keeping things under control, considering like the the roster they were working with like in that LA game, they played, they played really well. The Seattle game was kind of a disaster, but against Carolina, that was that that's kind of how a lot of uh, hurricanes games have gone too, where it's like they dominate for 20 minutes. Sometimes they get rewarded. Sometimes they don't. And there's just like a three minute stretch where things just go off the rails and they find themselves either tied in a game they were dominating or down two to one and they got to climb back. out. But, so I don't, I don't know what I've been seeing hasn't really been too different from like the rest of the league, at least as far as like blowing leads are concerned. And I mean, you look at where they are now, they're a pretty good team in terms of in terms of expected goals. They're not a dominant team, but they're outscoring their problems right now. So I, I mean, I think that I think they'll be fine, like when all is said and done, you know? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think they will be, too. I mean, they, uh, you know, you you look at, you know, getting two road games against Carolina and Florida, you know, with with just a day apart in between the two. And you're like, all right, like you get you get two points out of four in that you're you're not you're not hating your life. And, uh, you know, they will they will move on just fine. But uh, I guess I guess, Corey, kind of kind of well, well, you were on the Capitals depth a little bit. Um I think that's been something we've all kind of, I'm not going to leave the podcast talking about Alex Ovechkin, although I promise we'll talk about him a little bit, but uh, you know, that's been something that's been really striking. I think in the last week or so has been the Capitals depth actually more than the last week, really pretty much the whole year uh, with them being without a second line and everything. But I guess I'm kind of curious, like, what do we think about, like, the organization, organizational strength of a team like the Capitals? Because, I mean, you look at some of these players like, uh, you know, Protus or uh, Beck Malenstein, I think is everyone's kind of favorite example right now of just, you know, guys that kind of just came out of nowhere and maybe are good and at minimum seem to fit really well with what the Capitals are doing. So, I don't know what what is it about Washington that kind of just keep finding and developing these players and uh you know you look at other teams and they just kind of seem to struggle when when they have top players go out. Yeah, who does this remind you of like uh, <laughs> like the whole Mark Donk buzz flip it thing in Pittsburgh, they just call up anybody and they have like they have like 15 goals at the end of the year. But yeah, like this is kind of just what Washington does. They just find guys like some of them are some of them you kind of expect it from like Connor McMichael was a pretty high pick. He's really young and he's had a he's had like a really good like rookie under the radar season. Like he doesn't have the goals like Lucas Raymond or some of the other guys, but he's really good. And I think he could be like a not a Calder pick, but like low in the but he might get some votes if he keeps it up. But I don't know. I guess it could just be like the environment they're walking into, which even then I'm not sure of because they're playing with like Nick Dowd as their or Lars Eller as like their second most experienced center right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, like I don't I don't know what it is, but you look at the players they have. It's like 
Kuznetsov is, I mean, Kuznetsov is a top line player. Lars Eller, very good player. Nick Dowd, like a fourth liner, but a very good fourth liner. Like these guys are totally walking into, they're not like walking into the NHL, like totally out of their league. They have guys they can kind of lean on and rely on. Like sometimes Oshie's healthy, sometimes he's not. Uh, like, like Ovechkin, Wilson, like all the guys that they kind of just can lean on people. But I think just Washington does a really good job at just insulating these guys so they can kind of find their way one way or another. It's like uh, it's like that kid they called it. They're really – I get these two guys. I get Leeson and Protus mixed up. Yeah. Protus is the really big one that's been playing yeah. with Ovechkin, although I guess yeah, they're both really 50, big. But Protus yeah, has been on the top line. Yeah, like, I, I was going to say the really tall guy, but they're both really <laughs> tall. It's like, <laughs> I don't know, really like, <laughs> it's interesting because, like, I watch the guy, I'm like, yeah, this guy can't really move, but he's in the right spot usually to kind of make a quick bump pass to uh, Wilson or Ovechkin, or he's, like, behind the net to kind of win a puck battle and get the puck to the point so, like, their defense can kind of cycle down and do their thing, which they've been doing a lot of this year. I think they've been kind of getting more comfortable with that, but that's another conversation. Yeah. I don't know. It's just uh, kind of just the system they're walking into. They have, they're set up in a place where they're not really like kind of they just they just don't look lost, you know? Yeah. Like, they're not dominating games, but like they can kind of find their niche. Like Protus has been a pretty good defensive player, and he's been he's been playing because Nets have spot in the power play and kind of taking up space down low to free up some. Like I was watching the I was watching the uh, Montreal game from last week and. It's just interesting how these guys just kind of find a way to fit in, even if they're not like directly impacting the play. Because there is that goal Carlson scored in the power play where he had like a million feet of room to just walk into a shot, but Kuznetsov yep. <laughs> spot down low, and Kuznetsov uh, had the puck on the right wall, and Frodus just went to the front of the net and took a hab there with him, and the other the other guy, I think it was Pocket, had a stick in the lane, and that just left a million feet open for Carlson to just walk into a shot and blast when he's like one of the few guys that can score from there. So I don't know. These guys just seem to know what they're doing when they get called up. Like they understand their assignments. They don't look lost. They have guys they can lean on. So I think it goes a long way just having the top of your roster set. So you're not just throwing young kids into the fire. Yeah. And I mean, string, I think if you kind of look at the caps uh, from a kind of broader standpoint too, they, uh, I, like they seem to do well in terms of drafting and developing, right? Like uh, you look at Caps first round picks and yeah, like they've missed on a couple, you know, but I think they have a, uh, you know, pretty good track record of either developing guys that can, you know, slot into the lineup or, you know, being able to develop guys that then trade them for other guys that can slot into the lineup. So I don't know. It seems like uh string they, 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 they've done well, I think from an organizational standpoint in terms of developing these kind of players no? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we for years have kind of touted the Capitals and how they're able to develop young players, and I think we're we're seeing rewards for that now. Um, and it's not the flashy guys, right? The Capitals haven't had a lot of flashy top tier picks, like a Connor McMichael, um, over the last few years, or, or not how they were doing them in the early 2000s, right? Uh, or early 2010s. The Capitals went went years and years where they would have that kind of late first round draft pick and get, you know, Marcus Johansson, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Burakovsky, an earlier pick, Jacob Vrana. And, you know, now we're kind of seeing these depth guys that are able to play up in the lineup, but not necessarily with that skill set um, contribute. And, and that's really nice to see. Um, 
for a long time, the Capitals talked about how they wanted to have an organizational mentality inclusive of Hershey, where, you know, they played similar styles, similar systems. I remember that being a conversation that took place a lot during Barry Trotz's introduction. Um, to be frank, I don't really know if that's still the case, um, but it certainly looks that way given how these guys from Hershey have been able to slide into the lineup and uh, be effective immediately. Yeah, and it, it, it's interesting, you know, because I think it, I think sometimes as a fan, you could kind of just look at like the AHL team's record or something, right? And you could be, oh, well, they're really good. So that's got to be a good sign of our future. But I think that can be maybe an overly simplistic way to view it because I, you know, I think like, like it or not, you know, and I'm guessing some of the teams that have AHL teams probably don't like this very much, but from the capital standpoint, they need the Hershey Bears to be developing talent for the Washington Capitals. Right. That is the job of the Hershey Bears. And, you know, so I think if sometimes you've seen in previous years, the Capitals kind of or the Hershey Bears in particular kind of play older players to win games. And, you know, that there's obviously a difference there between what the Capitals need and what the Hershey Bears need. So I think it's definitely been interesting that I think the last few years, it seems like they've I, I know that they've made some changes to Hershey, and uh, I think it seems you're starting to maybe see the ramifications of that. And uh, Corey, speaking of one guy who was a Hershey Bear briefly for a year, uh, and who has come up to Washington and really dominated, uh, I know you wanted to talk about Connor McMichael. So uh, let's talk about Connor McMichael. I think that I know before we had started talking, uh, before we hit record, that I had said that he maybe wasn't the kind of I mean, he's been great, and he wasn't the kind of great that I thought he would be. He's been a lot, I think, more physical. I think he's been, I expected a pure sniper kind of guy, but actually you look at most of his goals, and uh, they're not snipery goals. They're kind of ugly goals up front, and it's definitely been, uh, he's an interesting guy to watch because I think the, you know, the underlying numbers say one thing too, and, you know, I think his play kind of speaks to that, but kind of what are you seeing with Connor McMichael this year? Yeah, there's always something to be said about a prospect that doesn't have to lead the charge on his line or just a guy you call up and he's an NHLer right then and there. Because I feel like it with a lot of these kids, sometimes it takes a while for them to really get their feet set and like kind of stick in the NHL. With McMichael, he just looked like he belonged from the beginning. They had him on a really good line with Will, uh, with uh, Oshie and Mantha, I think it was, in October. And he was just... Uh, he was like an excellent third wheel on that line. He was making plays along the wall to get them space off the rush. He was camped out. Like he was doing stuff like kept being camped out of the blue line to create easy entries for them so they can kind of get set up. And he's just, uh, I don't know. He just gets it. Like he just knows how to read off his line mates. Well, he can play really any role because he doesn't really need to be like, uh, he doesn't need to be a star, a guy who has the puck all the time to be effective. He can just do a lot of the simple things like go to the net and make short passes to like a, to the more skilled line mates. And he's just done a really good job of that. Like he said, he's been really good about getting to the net and kind of just getting those, like whether it's like a fluky goal or just uh, or just uh, like a screen or a tip or something like he just kind of like he just kind of really knows like like he just he just looks like, he doesn't look lost out there. He just looks like he just definitely looks like he belongs. Yeah, I think your dog agrees with you. <laughs> yeah, I kind of go like, I don't know. Like, it's like what we talked about at the beginning of the year. There's always a guy or two on the caps that just kind of keeps the window open. And like it was Burakovsky and it was Verona a few years ago. And I was like, oh, do they have a guy like that? It, like, it might be Connor McMichael because he's probably the, guy with the highest ceiling. 
And lo and behold, he's lo and behold, he's an NHLer right now at like 20 years old, which like he might not be a star yet, but what he's doing now is definitely like a good sign of what he can be like when he gets some more minutes and some more responsibility. Like maybe he is the guy that can maybe take over for maybe take over for Backstrom or Kuznetsov like in a few years, which yeah. is. I mean, obviously not going to be as good as Nicholas Backstrom because, like, that's a Hall of Famer we're talking about here. But <laughs> definitely is like the one A, one B, C for or center for them soon. If he means that Nicholas Backstrom can do twenty percent less, then that is that is uh, is indeed a valuable player now. Yeah, and also, I mean, I do like that he can kind of place both center and wing and not just be totally lost out of his way because, like, sometimes I think that's overblown because everything is just so F one F two now when you get into the offensive zone, but they've moved him around a lot and he really hasn't seen his play dip. And I know a lot of players when they get moved up, it's like when they get moved to center, they're like overly concerned about where they need to be in the defensive zone. And like, they struggle a little and they kind of struggle a little bit with that. But with him, it's like, really, he hasn't, he really hasn't seen his play dip at all, regardless of where he's played. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, definitely been interesting to kind of watch him and, uh, string, have there been any other kind of rookies that have caught your eye? I know at some point I'm going to ask Corey about, uh, Faravari, but anyone, anyone kind of, kind of caught, caught your eye has been, oh, you know, that, that, that yet another capital that seems they seem to develop. Um, let me think about that for a second. I mean, Faravari's a, a pretty clear one. Uh, I thought he's been good. Um, to be, to be honest, the other guys, I think they played well, but they're not really standing out to me at, at this point in time. It's more than kind of a stopgap. Um, you know, I mean, Protoss has looked good, and I, I think there's potential there. But, you know, there, there's nobody that's jumping out to me as a, hey, it's definitely time to, to make sure that these guys are sticking around at the lineup. Um, as much as it seems like much of the fan base is ready to, to move on from Carl Hagelin, uh, I'm, I'm not quite Peter sure. Peter Laviolette is not ready to move on. No, no, yeah. I've got a, Carl Hagelin is uh, stapled to the bench rather than the press box. <laughs> yeah, Corey, I, I heard you go, uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, I don't know. Is there, is there, um, uh, you know, actually, let, let's, let's use this. And then if you want to say anything about Carl Hagelin, you are more than welcome to. Although uh, my, my thoughts about Carl Hagelin are, are not particularly voluminous at this point but uh i i know we we'd been dming a little bit about martin Ferravari and kind of the capitals defense and i i know in years past we've talked about how laviolette has used the capitals defensemen and how they're you know very kind of aggressive on forecheck and kind of pinching and everything like that and i guess i, I it seems like Ferravari has kind of fit well into what laviolette wants his defenseman to do no yeah, he does, especially when it comes to, like, defending entries. He's always just kind of stapled to, like, two feet within the blue line. And uh, I thought he struggled a little bit, like, early in the season. A few guys walked around him. But, like, as the year went on, as the year went on, he got way more comfortable just kind of playing aggressive and high in the zone. And he's been really good at, like, using his stick to deny entries and just disrupt plays in general. And uh, they always want, like, I feel like they always want, like, a very basic by-the-books defenseman with John Carlson. And I think he's, I think he's a really good compliment to him. Because, like, Carlson, he's, like, like, he has a lot of his issues, especially in the defensive zone. But one of the things he is really good at is just, like, turning loose pucks into transition chances. Yes. Which is, like, 
it's very feast or famine type of defense, which is why his numbers are kind of scattered. But Ferravari is a guy who can kind of create a lot more loose pucks for him. So it kind of so they can the Caps can kind of go work on offense a little bit. It's definitely a better fit than Brendan Dillon, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think he's what Brendan Dillon used to be like a few years ago. Like when the Sharks when the Sharks had him, he was kind of Brent Burns' uh, uh, stabilizer, if you want to call it that. Yeah. But he is like uh, – but, yeah, he is pretty much like your basic – I don't want to say shutdown defenseman but or defensive defenseman just because I think it's kind of an oxymoron. But he's a very – like he's very by the books, and he's just there to kind of disrupt and stop plays, and like teams need that. Sure. I mean, I will say, though, I do think – what I do worry about with him is that he is very – he is very by the books. Like he knows what to do. He understands like the assignments, but he also kind of just sticks to it. Like if, like uh, there was that Bennett chance last night where he was like wide open. Florida got like three shots out of it. And yeah. I think the caps are, I don't know if they were playing man exactly. Cause I'm usually wrong with this, but he's following uh, Florida had a cycle going with a bunch of defensemen jumping in and Favari's following Gustav Forsling to the blue line. While yeah. uh, Wilson, uh, Wilson gets gets kind of crossed up and he doesn't really know where to he didn't really know like who to follow and that left Bennett wide open so I think he could do a little better just kind of reading reading and reacting of the play instead of just following like whatever the system is because like I mean that that'll probably just come with time because he's still pretty young but he's doing what the Cavs need him to do right now yeah and uh that makes sense and uh, string speaking of two uh capitals defensemen that are doing what they need to do right now uh if you don't start talking about how good dimitri Orlov and nick jensen is i will start doing it but i'm the host so i'll let you do it uh how, how what, what have you been seeing out of those two well jp did uh, kind of tweet out that that kind of who are the best offensive defensemen in this year from a statistical point of view and uh dimitri orlov lo and behold, yeah uh, right near the top of the list um, I think we all thought it would be Nick Jensen, of course, not not John. <laughs> you mean Nick Nick uh, Nick Nick uh, Norris Jensen, of course. Right? Exactly, but very. Uh, it's been a great year for Dmitry Orlov. I mean, um, I've always been a fan of his. Um, I, I, I just he, he's he's very dependable, and that, that frankly, there's there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, he's a guy who um, can. He, he's one of those great traditional two-way defensemen. Um, not afraid to lay the body. Uh, I mean, there's, there's nothing I can say about him that the routine listeners to this show haven't heard already, but um, a lot to be happy about when, when analyzing Dmitry Orlov's play to start the season. Yeah, and uh, and Corey, I know that, um, I, I, you know, I don't think it was your micro stats that they used, uh, which kind of felt like betrayal, but I know Dom wrote something uh, recently about, uh, you know, kind of using micro stats with defensemen, and uh I mean, Dimitri Orlov again featured pretty highly in there. So I, I, I know I've poked around your your site, and uh, you know, it's it seems like that's always the guy that you know people analytics nerds like me and microstat and analytics nerds like you seem to say, yeah, that's that's a guy that really kind of drives a lot for the Capitals. No. Yeah, that's how it's always been. He's been like it's kind of an extreme comparison, but like in Nashville, Laviolette had Roman Yossi to kind of like defer to defer to to get the to get the puck out of the zone and lead and kind of lead the charge if uh, yes. they to carry the puck in and that's what he has been that's pretty much what he has always been he's like also allowed john carlson to play in a more 
in a more like sheltered 1A, 1B role because Orlov and like whatever right defenseman they find can just handle the shutdown minutes. It was Niskanen for a long time. Now it's Nick Jensen. And what's interesting is like I've, I've kind of changed my uh, my tracking of zone exits this year. So it's more based on who retrieves the puck to beat a four check first instead of just getting the puck out of the zone. And uh, Nick Jensen has been really good so far in that. Like he's been excellent at kind of he's been excellent, like about taking hits to make plays, getting like beating four check pressures, getting the puck out of the zone with control. Yes. Like, he was I good at he, that in Detroit too, and then it kind of went away from him in DC, and then now I think it's it's kind of I think he's I think he's found his comfort. Yeah, he was uh, when they were going through that rough transition period. Like he was probably their best guy for a really long time, or not probably like more like one or two years, just because it really hasn't been that long since Detroit's been yeah. terrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I remember seeing. I mean, back in my Michigan days, I remember seeing him in Detroit and thinking, yeah, you know, that's a guy that like that is really, really, really good at one thing, which is getting the puck out of the defensive zone and into the neutral zone. And that sounds overly simplistic, but I mean, that's a really valuable skill for defensemen to have. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like when you think of offensive defensemen, cause like I've kind of been like changing my viewpoint of this. Cause I really like the more, like I've watched games, it's like the less I want a defenseman to kind of have the play run through him. I'd rather just have a guy who can just, who can just dip, uh, relieve pressure, go back, retrieve pucks, get it out of the zone, make the other team come 200 feet and lead the offense if he needs to. Cause like, because like, I, f- I feel like that's just kind of where the game is now. Like you don't really need like a big hulking defenseman to just kill guys in front of the net. And like the play is like the play for the most part now is like on the boards in the corners in the neutral zone. And like Jensen is really good at doing like are really good at controlling that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I think the uh, I think the Vancouver Canucks are an attestation to team to teams that uh, when they don't have guys that can do that effectively, what can what can happen? Uh, so uh, so yeah, um, and uh, I guess string the uh, the other thing is um, I I feel would I would feel remiss without talking about uh, the Capitals' power play and how it's not very good. So uh, I don't know. Like I've asked JP about this. I've asked different people about this. Like. What what is he, what do you think is going on with them? Do you think it's just as simple as they're missing two of their pivotal cogs in Oshi and Backstrom, or do you think there's something else going on? Um, it's a good question. Um, one that if I had a great answer to, um, I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd be getting paid lots of money by. <laughs> the NHL teams. But, well, you are you are extremely well compensated doing this podcast, sir. I would oh, say. yes. <laughs> It's a labor of love, and nothing's better than getting that sort of compensation. <laughs> but um, I don't know, Greg. I mean, I'm, I, when I when I watch the Capitals power play right now, it just looks lackluster to me. You know, how many years did we say all oh, the problems Kuznetsov on the entries? How it's it's the slingshot. Kuznetsov's probably playing the best hockey uh, that he's played in three years. Definitely in three years. I mean, he he. He, he has been, you know, knock on wood, consistently dominant so far. I mean, he, he's many nights been the best player on, on the Caps, which is saying something given how well Ovechkin's been playing. So um, I, I'm not sure it's a personnel issue. Um, I, I, they, just, they just don't look good. I mean, the power play has been kind of falling over, 
over the last few years. They're no longer kind of that 25% top-tier power play. But um, I actually don't have a great answer for you. What, what sort of answer are, are you thinking, Greg? Um, that's a good question. You know, I think that it, you know, I look, I mean, it's, I, I think I, JP is definitely on to something when he says, look, like Nicholas Backstrom has been one of the great like power play passers of really the last like 10 years or so. Right. And yeah. I think anytime you have a guy like that, you know, it, that's tough to lose. And, you know, I think that the people that the Capitals have replaced him with haven't been great. I mean, you look at it like right now, they've been insistent on having Protus in the power play, right? Before that, it was Connor Sherry. And, you know, I think that they, I don't know that there's a coherent vision to how to make an effective power play without Nicholas Backstrom. I think it's kind of, it's kind of where I'm at with it right now. Like, I, you know, I think that, but then again, I mean, you're right that the power play was struggling before Nicholas Backstrom was out too. You know, I mean, we've seen a slow erosion kind of over the last five years or so, I would say. Uh, I don't know, Corey, you you watch other teams also. Like, what do, what do you think's going on with the Caps right now with that? Yeah, I think I think one of the problems right now is that it's kind of just too based on structure just because they've been doing it the same way for so long. It's yeah typical one three one setup and they just kind of plug and place guys into different roles it's like oh we'll just have a righty shot in the slot to replace Oshie. so here's tom wilson here's here's kuznetsov to replace uh to replace backstrom on the right wall like, here's not connor mcmichael and instead connor sherry <laughs> yeah i was yeah I, that was interesting i'm kind of surprised he hasn't really seen much power play time just because entries are a problem because it's kind of kuznetsov or nobody and mm-hmm. I'm surprised. i thought uh that LaPierre kid might have stayed up because he was actually pretty good at doing that on the power play, at least in the few uh, the few games I tracked when he was there. But I do think there I think there just needs to be more like they need to allow guys to improvise a little more. I think there needs to be more movement because right now, Pro, like with Protus and uh, like with Protus and Kuznetsov on that right wall, they don't really move around a lot. Whereas with Backstrom, they ro- they rotate a lot and. Yeah. Protus is either going to stay behind the net or go to the front of the net. And they kind of did the same thing when I think, uh, trying to remember who was there before Protus. I think it was Connor Sherry. Yep. And like Sherry didn't really rotate at all because like Sherry's one thing is scoring in front of the net and working in tight spaces. And teams kind of know what he's going to do. So I do think there needs to be more. If they're going to do that, I think they need to move around a lot more, improvise a lot more, get out of the 1 3 1 setup. Because like this, like, Tampa Bay does that a lot. Tampa Bay will kind of, if it's not working, they'll kind of like draw things up in the dirt and just create something up a loose play or just send the puck to the other side of the ice if uh, there's too much pressure on one side and kind of just go from there because that's going to create openings. Maybe even just go to a more of like, not really dump and chase, more of like a forechecking power play because uh, in, t- uh, in the playoffs last year against Carolina, Tampa Bay actually didn't score any goals off like any traditional setups it was all off of broken plays and missed clears by the hurricanes sure and uh a couple off entries too which i think teams need to do more of but the caps i don't know why kuznetsov and the entries just don't work but for whatever reason they don't so well, it's interesting too because i think like that would fit a, a more kind of four check heavy style that would arguably i think fit more with what laviolette wants the caps to do at 5v5 no so i think it would at least give some consistency to it yeah, because, like, he can do that at five-on-five. Five. I just don't understand why he's never – like, this isn't really a Caps problem. It's a problem of, like, league-wide because teams just don't – like, except for Dallas here and there, like, teams just don't don't attack off the rush on the power play. 
mostly because like teams are set up at the blue line or at rover style, so it's a little tough. But if you get a, if you got four guys standing still there, you might be able to catch a few guys off guard or something. Like the Flyers and some other teams have been using the boards a lot this year to create cha- to create chances on the power play out of nothing. So I do think they need to kind of just break the structure a little bit, go outside the box, maybe attack off the rush more. Definitely try to create more loose pucks and more turnovers, more turnovers, fail clears, which easier said than done just because like it's easier said than done because like teams are like so good at penalty killing now, except for Vancouver that most pucks just go down. Most pucks get out of the zone. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, When I watched the like when I watched the Islanders last year, their power play was just terrible, except for the times when Barzal can kind of just create something out of nothing. And maybe that's what Washington needs to do with like with uh, Kuznetsov because he's probably the one guy who's healthy right now that can do that. Yeah, he's the, he's the game breaker kind of there with with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I guess I mean I I think we'll we'll, we'll before break uh we're gonna uh, I'm gonna ask Corey and Adam one more question then we're gonna take a break and then uh I think Strig is gonna is gonna go off to the wilderness here a little bit and I'm gonna talk with Corey about some NHL wide questions but uh I guess um and, uh, Corey I'll start this with you and then we'll we'll get String in here like I want to ask you about the Caps top line I know JP has written about this recently that basically their top line has been so good that they've basically produced two sides, at least their top line at 5v5, of course, uh, has basically produced the equivalent of two lines. That, that's how good, uh, particularly, I mean, we're at, like, resurgent Evgeny Kuznetsov is a thing now. Like, I guess, Corey, you're the micro-stack guy. What are you seeing with Kuznetsov? And do you think it's kind of, I mean, I know we all want to talk about Ovechkin and how great he is, and he is, and he's been phenomenal. But I guess it, it seems to me, like, just from watching it, you know, the, the Kuznetsov play and really driving it has really both helped improve him and and really I think not I won't say resuscitated because that's not the right word but really you know kind of added an extra boost to Ovechkin season no yeah it really has and what's interesting is like I'm looking at his stats now and the main thing is everything he touches turns into a scoring chance and like he doesn't pretty good (laughs) well like he doesn't have a lot of offense and volume as far as producing shots go it's just every single thing he had like over 50% of the shots he produces are scoring chances, which, I mean, part of that is a little unsustainable, obviously, but there are guys who can do this. And, like, I mean, the one guy who did it last year was uh, that Erickson Ekin in, Arizona, I mean, in, uh, in Minnesota. Oh, yeah, he was, like, weirdly phenomenal at that. I that yeah, and he was kind of doing that just from being around the net all the time, not allowing anything defensively, whereas, like, Kuznetsov is just uh, – it's just a total wizard in transition, which is he's gotten back to this year. And he's just insanely good about just creating space for himself out of nothing. And for whatever reason, like I swear to God, when he has the puck in the neutral zone, it's like there's a halo around him. Yeah. Like guys just don't want to hit him. They don't want to go near him because it's like skating and puck handling. It's just different. You know what I well, mean? It's like the second a guy takes a stride at him, he finds a, he finds somebody wide open. And that's how it's been going this year, especially off the rush. Like, and or, uh, I mean, even shorthanded, like they, he had a, he had a gorgeous setup. On that the was, the yeah, that was absolutely ridiculous. Like he had 10 seconds to skate around in the neutral zone shorthanded with like, that should not happen in the NHL. <laughs> that happens. In the <laughs> like that was absolutely ridiculous. Like it's the ability to create things like that. And like, uh, as far as like creating like the, the, 
the big stat that I that I track that I kind of follow throughout the year is creating is creating chances of zone entries because those are the toughest to kind of create. They're the toughest to create and they're the hardest to defend. And like Kuznetsov and McMichael have been the two drivers there for Washington this year. And like that goes a long way if you're getting, especially in games when you're getting outplayed, like a guy who can kind of just draw something up in the dirt and score a goal off the rush. Like that's that that's your lifeline. And that's enough to kind of that's enough to win you a lot of games in the regular season. Yeah. And, you know, once we once we get to the playoffs, you know, then it's kind of everything. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? But string like I, you know, I, I kind of want to want to tie the Kuznetsov to Ovechkin thing here a little bit. I mean, like I look at that line and I say, wow, I mean, obviously, you know, they've had Wilson, they've had Protus, yada, yada. But I, I look at, you know, Ovechkin's kind of particularly the dominance he's had at 5v5 this year and think, wow, you know, thank goodness we have a resurgence of getting Kuznetsov. And it might, you know, if, if that. If work well together that might get that might get Ovechkin a lot a long way to Gretzky you know uh I mean obviously anytime you've got a a center that's creating space and able to hit you with the puck um you're gonna be more likely to score right so um especially with Backstrom kind of slowing down a bit it'd be nice to kind of maybe put Backstrom with some quicker uh players once he is healthy and Ovechkin can kind of stay with a guy like Kuznetsov who is just so nimble on his feet and able to move I mean, the big thing is Kuznetsov's a space creator, and he does that via his skating. Um, Backstrom's able to find you in space um, kind of just with his great passes. But, I mean, I, I think that Ovi's in great shape if Kuznetsov keeps playing like he's playing. Um, I mean, it, it's shocking that Ovechkin's scoring like he is with a power play that's only clicking at 18%. So, yeah, certainly a, a good thing for him. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, uh, I'm going to I have some uh, some uh, Jack Hughes and other related questions for Corey. So uh, stay tuned. Welcome back to Japers Drunk Radio. Uh, I am now here solo with Corey and uh, Corey uh, with uh, with just the two of us. We're going to talk about some non cap stuff because, uh, you know, this is uh, so so everyone that is uh, has their caps fill. You know, we gave it to you for the first uh, 37 minutes, you know, so we're going to talk about some other stuff now. Um, First off, like let's let's. I mean, you're you're a Carolina guy. Uh, Carolina's really good again this year. I'm gonna sigh. Tony D'Angelo is playing very well this year. But uh, I don't know. Like they're. Uh, it seems like Carolina. They're yeah, obviously somewhat led by goaltending, but they always seem to drive play. This year they haven't quite driven play to the same extent. Although lately they've really picked it up. But I don't know. Kind of kind of. What do you say about Carolina? And do you think ultimately this is the team that's gonna probably still win the division this year? Yeah, I don't know if they're going to win the division just because things are so tight at the top right now, and they've kind of hit a skids. They kind of hit the skids a little bit on this. Yeah, uh, that was a tough loss to Dallas, huh? Yeah, recent road trips, losing a losing that game in regulation to, the, to Washington was also kind of tough. But what's different about the team this year is they're scoring at five on five, and that's just been huge. And it's been a bunch of guys doing it. Like Jesper Foss leads the team in five on five goals. Kakaniemi has five goals, and he was. He was on the quote-unquote fourth line for a while. And, uh, like, it's not just all Ajo this year for one set five-on-five. But they we're getting bailed out big time by Freddie Anderson for, like, at least two months. Because, like, defensively, this team isn't really as good as a lot of people think they are. They, they're they kind of middle of the pack in terms of, like, expected goals given up. But they're, 
but they're only giving up like less than two goals a game at five on five. And most of that is because Freddie Anderson's just been outstanding. And he's been making a lot of really difficult saves look really easy. Like, like especially on plays that go across the seat, like plays that go across seam, it's like he knows they're coming and he's already there to kind of just square up and take it. So that's really been what's put them at the top of the division. Because, like, if he was just, like, 10% less, I think they're kind of in a dogfight with the Rangers and the Caps for first place. Yeah. But really, the five-on-five scoring has been the big driver of this team this year, that and goaltending. And the fact that it's all just – it's not the Sebastian Ajo show, like, all the time now at five-on-five is also a big deal because he's kind of been – a lot of his points are on the power play this year. Same with Tavo Taravainen. And just getting a, getting all the sec getting just as much secondary scoring as they have from from guys who really didn't produce that much last year and from a rookie and Seth Jarvis is like that's been a big deal. Yeah, they really found something in that Seth Jarvis. I was I was impressed by him against the Caps. They, they, they kind of found something there, huh? Yeah, it goes. It's like what I said with McMichael. It's like a guy just comes up and you can already tell he belongs. Like he doesn't need to be the star in his line. He can just be a third wheel on a top line or a second line and just fit in fine and do a lot of the, uh, just do a lot of the tertiary secondary things that help you stick around just winning puck battles, getting to rebounds, which has kind of been his niche, kind of being a support guy on entries and just like feeding off the feeding off the skill that your top line players bring. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's definitely, definitely something to kind of keep an eye on. Yeah. They're, uh, they're, they're definitely interesting. Um, Speaking of interesting things, um, I I think there's been a kind of interesting debate that I've seen on Twitter and in general uh, over the extension for Jack Hughes, because Jack Hughes is someone that I guess I, and I'm going to try to lay out the terms of, I think, what the debate has been. And feel free to correct me if I get these wrong. And then I'm kind of curious where you end up, because I think you and I end up in slightly different places, but I trust your opinion more than mine. So Jack Hughes, eight, he gets an eight, uh, eight-year, eight million contract extension by the um, New Jersey Devils that I think buys out either it's like three to four years of UFA status or something like that. I think it's it's definitely at least two or three. So um, the the kind of debate with Jack Hughes at this point is he has one been hurt a lot. Um, obviously the first overall pick and a very high pedigree, and his underlying stats, particularly last year, were excellent like uniformly excellent, but he hasn't really scored yet. And, you know, you look at the contract and you're like, okay, why, why, why do this now? Why give this kind of term or, well, I guess less term and more kind of 8 million for a guy that just hasn't kind of produced and shown necessarily that he'd drive a top line. So I guess I'm kind of curious. I think you could look at this contract and say, all right, if he develops into the number one A center that we all think he can and all think, you know, maybe you say there's like a 70 to 80% chance he'll get there, then this is a great value contract still. But at the same time, you look like there's some there's some RFA years they're buying out that they are probably paying over market for if they had just done a bridge. So I guess, I don't know, kind of kind of break down the contract a little, kind of where, where do you think the devils are? And, uh, you know, if you if you wouldn't have given this contract, kind of what would you have been at for a reasonable number that he could have ended up at? It was it's an interesting contract to me because if a, if you're paying a guy that much, especially when he's only 20 years old, usually it's like, you know, this guy like is amazing. It's like Austin Matthews or something. You want to pay him under market value 
for a guy you know is a star. And I guess the Devils know Jack Hughes is a star. It's just the points haven't really shown it. So I thought they could have gotten him for – if they're going to sign him now, that is. I thought they can get him for, like, less money because, like, let's just say he has an amazing season this year. Like, the pucks start going in for him and – Pucks start going in for him and like his line mates start finishing more and he's like say a seventy point player. Like I feel like you're still gonna pay him about eighty million a year. I mean yeah. about a million a year. Like what are you are you afraid of paying him ten million or something? So like I know it's different now, like the Habs just gave Suzuki that big contract, but he was just coming off a playoff run. So that's kind of boosting things there, but it was it was kind of an odd deal. Like it's very unprecedented too, I feel like. Because sure. never there hasn't been a guy with this type of point production this young who has ever made this much money. Because I asked on Twitter, like, has this really ever happened before? And I got a few answers. Like, Barkoff got a pretty big contract, like, in his second year. But he had 53 points. And he was getting only, like, $6 million. Granted, the cap is higher now. But still, like... That would project still probably around $7 mil, not 8 for you, huh? Yeah, so, like, definitely... I don't want to say they overpay because I think at the end of the day, this is just going to be a it's it's a deal where they're probably going to pay fair value unless unless Jack Hughes is like, say, Patrick Kane 2.0 or something this year. Which or, like, or if he's hurt all the time, which you can't really project. Right? Which like, I mean, he's also Hughes is also just a very I mean, he's a unicorn. Like if you yeah. just watching him and just seeing like how much the play runs through him, how much he has the puck on his stick when he's out there and just how. <laughs> he's a one man show whenever he's on the ice. It's just that he doesn't have the points like, and is that his fault? Is that the line mates fault? I don't really know for sure. Is it because yeah, I mean, you, you look at it, it's not like he's played with a ton of elite talent. Right. But at the same uh, time, you know, like, like he, Wayne Simmons and, yeah. yeah, exactly. But I mean, at the same time, you know, like there it's the NHL, it's a capped parody driven league, right. You know, like if you're going to pay someone that you're going to probably need them to play with maybe a couple of guys that, you know, you're going to need him to drive a line like that. Yeah. It's just, maybe I feel like there, there has to be some kind of in between, but they also had some tough luck last year. Janssen couldn't finish it all. And now Andreas Janssen looks like the player that they traded for. Tomas Tatar is, Tomas Tatar is a very good player. Jesper Bratz, very good player. Yeah, weirdly had an incredible year. <laughs> yeah. He's starting to see his points go up and Dawson Mercer looks legit. So like, I guess they're banking on him being the guy well, I mean, he has been the guy, just the points haven't really, the points haven't been there. And I guess they're banking on the points coming, but how many, what exactly is the cap on this? Like, yeah. I guess, I mean, if Hughes is your franchise guy and you're paying him $8 million for the next eight years, that's good. And I I just, it's just kind of a weird time to do it, you know, and they're just kind of assuming that everything is going to go right. So it's just a... Just an interesting contract, really. Un- like I said, it's unprecedented because really, there hasn't been a guy this young with that type of point production who got this type of contract before, except maybe, I guess Ryan Nugent Hopkins, but he also had he also had a really good rookie season. Like I think he had fifty something points. So that's also Hughes hasn't produced like that before. No, yeah, you know, it, it kind of reminds me. I think it was uh, was a Darnell Nurse or whatever, right? That the Edmonton gave that huge contract to, and you're like. Why, why do you have to do this now? You don't, you don't yeah, have to. Yeah, even, well, even then, like, Nurse had, I think Nurse led yeah, all he the. he had, like, a gazillion points. Last year. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Passing but the puck to Connor, McMike, or Connor McDavid on the power play also. We'll do that. Well, yeah. I, that's not totally fair, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, 
Yeah, I guess if Jack Hughes is like the second coming of Patrick Kane, then yeah, this is a steal for New for New Jersey. But I think at most this is just him. This is just the Devils paying like fair market value for their future star player, which it's fine. It's just kind of weird. To yeah, do I mean, I guess I guess the other thing, kind of pure hockey analytics aside, is maybe you say, look, like, do we? I mean, I, I, I and I guess it doesn't. Obviously, you wouldn't say that this mattered at all for like a Nathan McKinnon or something. But, you know, if he's going to be our franchise player, do we necessarily want him to feel like he's, you know, this incredible value that's underpaid, you know, and all that? I mean, I, they, I don't know. Like, I, you, you wonder maybe if there's like another kind of consideration like that at play. Yeah, I guess it's also like they I guess they just don't want to nickel and dime their star player, which I mean, which I mean, fair. If you can get the if you can get the kid locked up now, then. If you can get the guy locked up now for like a decent term and decent money, then by all means do it instead of like potentially letting this drag into a messy situation in a few months. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I, I think I think you would you would definitely say you'd want to at least buy out a couple of years versus having to give Jack Hughes a bridge. No. Yeah, definitely, because I, I, I feel like that was the direction a lot of teams were going to go with like the Austin Matthews contract. And him only getting a few years and then the Ajo offer sheet, that's kind of that's pretty much a bridge deal, too. So it's it's interesting, even though, yeah. like, again, like, like, I'm not saying like points are everything with Hughes, but like points are what teams usually pay for. Yes. Yeah. You know, and so it's 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 interesting. You know, I think it's it's I think it's also interesting because of, like you said, kind of what it says about. I mean, like we, we see these kind of swings, right? I mean, you mentioned it, you know, with with, you know, maybe some of the guys that have gotten shorter bridge deals, you know, that I, I think this is just there's not anything kind of like this. And I think it's it's interesting about what it says to the devils, too, because, you know, I, I think if you're the devils, you can on one hand say, look, we have this guy for eight years. We know that he's going to be in the middle of the lineup, assuming he's healthy and all that, you know, which we can't really count for. And that's there's value just inherent in that. But at the same time, you know, if you could have gotten those two million extra and that means a tangibly worse player that he has to play with, then, you know, maybe maybe that doesn't do you any good. Yeah, that's 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 definitely fair. Yeah. So. All right. Well, okay. like I remember the big question, uh, the big question or heading into the year is like, is this like, why doesn't Hughes does all these great things? Why does he not have any points? Yes. If it was line mates and it was also like just a kid still like still kind of figuring out like where he is at his ceiling and i guess the devils they the devils see him like he's their star guy and i guess we'll find out soon yeah <laughs> yeah we'll see it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see them i think because they're what they're like i think last time i looked three points out of a playoff spot kind of like right on the edge there which I think, you know, it's kind of about where you would have said for them, you know, so and they have a lot of kind of good, useful little players like I you could definitely see them sneaking into a wild card. And I mean, this has all been without, you know, Hughes. So it's also, you know, I, I think they're, they're kind of an interesting team to watch. Yeah, it's also they don't have a ton of uh, they don't have a ton of like uh, big decisions to make as far as like who to keep, though, because they just got Dougie Hamilton for yeah. uh, for a very long time and they don't have to pay Mercer for a while. Yeah. Uh, and they have Heischer locked up at this point too, right? Yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah. So they have their two centers. Yeah. So it's just a matter of like, I guess that is a good question for like further down the line. Like, just like what exactly is the, what's the ceiling of like a core of Heischer, Hughes, Hamilton, 
Hamilton and uh, Blackwood. Like, yeah. is that a is that a playoff team? Is that a is that a bubble team? Is that a team that's going to be in the top three every year? I I don't know for sure, but <laughs> did a lot to, Hamilton did a lot to change the complexion in Carolina. So we'll see what he does in New Jersey because right now they're kind of in the same spot. Yeah. Carolina was in the first year they got Hamilton, at least at this point of the year. It's like they're up, they're down. They're not really a dominant team, but they're scoring more goals. They're in the mix, at least. They're not completely out of it, but they're not really as good as like maybe their fans hope yet. But still a really young team they have up there. They're figuring things out. Yeah, yeah, and I think it would uh, if they could maybe find a uh, taker for for some uh, big big name defenseman contracts that are not uh, Dougie Hamilton. Uh, you know that might that might kind of clear things up for them a little bit. That's it's kind of a weird roster, you know, right? Like they're not they have a lot of like like good talent, and then they have some stuff that's not all that ideal, you know, in their lineup. So I yeah you know, I don't. I don't know, like, kind of what I what I think about the Devils, and I, I I don't know if the rest of the league even knows what to think about the Devils at this point. They're kind of an interesting team. No, but they're always really tough to play usually, just because they're yeah. such a fast team. They're such a team. They're a team that attacks off the rush like all the time, and I feel like that's just all, that's just always tough for teams to keep up with, especially in like the first period of games. Like it doesn't always like. Like it doesn't always result in anything for them, but it definitely gets teams on their heels a little bit. Be like, whoa, this team is a lot better than we thought they were, especially with the new schedule this year. Like uh, Minnesota. Yeah, I think the Caps had a couple of games against them last year where I think they won like it was like three two or something, and they're like, wow, like I were lucky to get the more goals than they did because they they were flying up and down the ice. You know, it just didn't always result in goals. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of where Florida was a few years ago, like. Yeah. When- like starting to kind of get good it's like they're not there yet but i could see them being like uh potentially what florida is now which is like which is like a top team three a a top three team in the conference like and nobody really disputes that so i can see them becoming that in another year or so yeah the uh man the man the top of that uh just to kind of switch over back to florida and the top that top of the atlantic division man that is a brutal division right now because you know i'd like with you i mean you talk about like because I, I the other question i was going to kind of ask you is I, i'm curious if anyone else in the east has your eye because right now it seems like uh i much to uh, my my twitter feeds chagrin it's kind of the uh, toronto maple leafs world and we're all living in it right now so uh, i don't you know like i mean man if you're boston that's got to be it's got to be tough right because you got a lot of good games against some some of these really good teams in the top of the division but uh i don't know is uh toronto I, their underlyings are are pretty good obviously jack campbell has been phenomenal for them. like uh i wonder, wonder do, you, do you think they're legit do you think that like i mean i think it's folly at this point to say they're a like a you know for sure like gonna be a second or third round team i say what you will about their pedigree but i just think that that's not the way to think about the playoffs but I don't know, like, they're they're really something now, huh? Yeah, there's not really anything swaying me about Toronto, like, being this paper tiger or anything. It's like, it's what they were the last two years. This this should be a team that we talk about as, uh, we talk about as a team that goes deep in the playoffs. You just kind of get, they got to get over that hump. And I don't know if it's going to happen this year or not, but... I mean, they're definitely, I mean, I think they're a little better this year just because you got uh, Sandine and Lilligren playing instead of Bogosian. Yeah. But, uh, they've been getting by with Muzzin, with Jake Muzzin hurt a lot, too, and he was kind of like their, not kind necessarily the anchor for them. 
Yeah, not necessarily. Like, I think Morgan Riley's their best defenseman, but Muzzin is Muzzin's like their Dmitry Orlov, kind of the all situations guy. Then they're just getting a lot of production out of guys who they got off the scrap heap, like Michael Bunting and Andre yeah. Kasha. Like, it's very cheap depth, and it's way more productive than what they were rolling with last year when they were shelling out first round picks for like Nick Felino and. Uh, I'm trying to remember who else is on that roster last year, but they just have like Wayne Simmons, right? I think if I remember. And yeah, like this guy, Ilya Mikheyev, who. Yeah. Who everyone seemed to like think he was going to be good and then just like wasn't for whatever reason, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, well, he just gets like a million chances off the rush and he scores maybe two of them. But now they got, well, like Andre Kasha has been producing for them. Tavar, like, and Tavares has had a really good start to the year. A lot of people thought he was kind of toast. Last year, if I remember that, if I remember correctly, but everything's kind of just uh, everything's kind of just blown out of proportion in Toronto, regardless of if they're good or bad. It's like Tavares has like a 50 something point year and it's like, oh, he's done. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. Because yeah. a bunch of people like contract aside, a bunch of teams would be willing to take John Tavares off your hands. I think I think that is fair. I think they have they have a few players that you know if they were to. I think it, it's funny because I've heard that it was like a. I think it was like William Nylander. Everyone was like, oh, you know, cut the ball. I, I can't believe like he put. I swear to God, like William Nylander. William Nylander could score a hundred points, and there's still yes. like people in Toronto that want him gone because he missed an assignment on the back check or he just did something that pissed them off. Like with the puck, I don't know. Or, or he dared try to use his leverage against a team that has most of the leverage the entire time, which is, I think something that is still on. It's, I mean, it's like kind of silly. I, you know, I get why I get everyone wants to be a fan of ownership for whatever reason, but I, you know, I always thought that was kind of silly. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I said, at this point, like, I don't know if Toronto is better than Florida, but that's just because I've watched a lot of Florida. And I think I was about to say they're the best team in the league, but I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet. But I, <laughs> I just love how they play. And they got Bobrovsky actually playing good now. So that's something. To yeah, work. he's been incredible for them this year. But the only thing I the only thing I don't like about Florida is they fall behind a lot and they. They're one of those teams where it kind of just snowballs for them. It's like when it's going good, it's good. But when it's going bad, it's like they let it snowball. Like one bad shift turns into two and they find themselves down like two to one in a game that they're dominating. It's kind of like Carolina a little bit. Well, as, as my as Florida Panthers being my unofficial number two team, this is, this is very exciting. But uh, you, you got you got Ekblad for the Norris this year. I mean, he's been incredible no? Yeah, but I mean, as of right now, I, I mean, him, maybe Adam Fox. There's other guys like there's other guys, too, that I think of like it's like I think Miro Haskinen is probably the best defenseman in the league in terms of like pure skill. But the results are just over there with him. Sure. And uh, just do himself many favors playing in Dallas. too. Well, like even then, like I was like I've been watching them the past week. Dallas is a team that just looks completely dead in the water for 10 games and then just rises and puts themselves back into the playoff conversation when they had no business being in it. But I don't know. Like the, he can control games better than most defensemen that I've seen. It's just that his passes go to passes go to like Luke Glenn Denning or a guy that just flubs them or something, and it just never results in any offense. <laughs> Back to Florida, like I've I've been more impressed with them than like any other team in the league, aside from maybe 
I don't want to say, like, I guess Edmondson, but, like, Edmondson is a lot of McDavid and Dreisaitl, but there was a Yeah, we kind of know what Edmonton so. is, right, you know? Yeah, and Tampa Bay has been good. They've been, Tampa Bay is hurt, so I think, I mean, Tampa Bay is, like, the und- is probably, like, the undisputed king until somebody dethrones them, but they're also hurt right now. Yeah, and they're but, also a team that, like, you know, it's kind of, like, I... You would think if there's a team that can kind of just sleepwalk through the regular season and just be like, look, let's just get in. Who really cares? You know, yeah, I mean, they beat the hell out of, uh, I think it was, I can't remember who they beat, but it was, again, they they didn't have point. They didn't have Kucherov, and I think they didn't yeah. have Kalorn either, and they won that game 4-1. to one. It might have been Seattle, so expansion team, whatever, but... The yeah, although, although they spotted what was it? Uh, like they uh, they they gave they were down or they were up three zero to the Blues last night, and they uh, then they lost in a shootout there. So you know they're yeah uh, the, the Blues it are just doesn't a, matter I think for them. The like, Blues are know where they're gonna be. Team. They're gonna be a playoff team, right? You know. So yeah. Like, I think for them they probably want to fast forward to to April as much as anyone. Yeah, definitely. I think Colorado's also in that group too. It's like Colorado's hurt and. Colorado, they have not been the dominant team that I kind of expected them to be, which I guess is fair because, I mean, they did lose. Uh, I guess all they did lose was Brandon Saad. I'm trying to remember who else left. I think Donskoy, like, death pieces, but still. like I lost Grubauer, although that, that seems like that was more Kemper, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Kemper's a good goalie. Yeah, yeah, he is, as long Colorado, as he's not. My problem, like, my problem with the Avs right now is they just – they're beating up bad teams, and when they face a team that's just slightly above that, they just, like, they played Dallas the other night and got absolutely dominated in the first period. Yeah, I saw, I actually caught a good piece of that game, and that was, uh, that was a weird kind of style of contrast game, and it just seemed like kind of Dallas, they were, that was, it seemed like they kind of flummoxed <laughs> a little bit of whatever, whatever Colorado was trying to do, particularly kind of zone entry-wise, you know, the Colorado, they, they're very dependent on entering with speed, and that just kind of, Dallas for no reason seemed like they, they they did a good job in that game to kind of well it is a bit. yeah it is kind of what Dallas does the the problem is, is that this only works for Dallas when they have a lead they just haven't had a lot of leads this year because they have two players who can score goals well three yeah. <laughs> they all play on the same line and yeah when Rope Hints isn't scoring or whatever Randy Hints Robertson and Pavelski yeah, you know, yeah. They, they they struggle <laughs> yeah so I I don't know but. Colorado could not get out of the zone cleanly in that first period, and they were down three nothing at the end of it. And so it was just garbage time where they were just creating shots from the outside, and Ottinger just bailed out anything that was loose. Yeah. So I don't. I mean, I think they're going to figure it out. They don't have McKinnon right now, obviously, and he he looked like he looked like a heart like a heart finalist when he was healthy. Yeah. So I guess. The smart thing to do is probably wait till he comes back and just wait till the playoffs. Because I have a feeling standing points wise are not going to matter that much this year. It's just going to be yeah. a who, who doesn't. Yeah, I mean, particularly out west, right? You know, you look at it and you're like, I, I mean, particularly with Vegas and Colorado, maybe not. I don't know, like both struggling a little bit. You're like, all right, is there anyone really out west that like scares you? I guess like Edmonton, maybe, but at the same time, I think we kind of know very much what they're vaults are and what they aren't and you know so we'll we'll see whether yeah yeah that's that's exactly it the Oilers should scare you but they also they didn't win a single game in a series against the Winnipeg Jets last year so 
No, they're what? They're 0 for 8. Or, well, they've what? Okay, including the bubble, I guess, right? What are they, like one playoff win in the last three years or something like yeah. that? Yeah. Like, I mean, eventually that's got to change just because, like, McDavid had. There's been a lot. They haven't been in as many, like, lappers this year. Like, yeah. they've had games where it's been tight and McDavid just pulls something out of his hat and wins it for them, like that game against the Jets and the Rangers a few weeks yeah. ago. So I think that I think that might matter down the line where it's like everything doesn't come as easy for them. They're less of a front running team. So we'll we'll see how that goes. And I just is Stuart Skinner going to be like their goalie in the playoffs? I don't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's just yeah, how it is I with mean, the West. That's how it is with the West, though. It's like, oh, I like this team, but it's like the Blues. I I've been probably like I've been impressed with them a lot this year. They just don't win games. Nope. <laughs> And that's kind no, of important. Maybe, maybe like we want to say the best team is like Calgary, I guess. Like, I don't know. Yeah, like, I, honestly, like, they're like, the one team I look at them like most nights and I'm like, oh, I'm impressed by what they're doing. You know, honestly, they're probably the most convincing case right now. If you want to say who's like the best team in the West, like the Oilers did beat them early in the season. But Calgary, they they face inferior teams on the road and they just beat the hell out of them. And yeah, or, I mean, I was I, I caught the Boston game, right? And that was, like, maybe one of the more impressive, like, just they just had things on lock. And, I mean, Daryl, like, I, it's funny, like, because I, I, I think that there's an interesting parallel you could draw with the Caps in the sense of you have a coach that is really, really good at doing one thing. And, you know, Daryl Sutter and I think LaViolette have a similarity in terms of being able to suppress, like, the other team's offense, right? And so... You look at it, you're like, all right, like they they can do that. And then, you know, you have a formula of that plus good shooting talent, which Washington clearly has Carolina or uh, Calgary. You know, like they have enough kind of top end guys that you would think, although I don't know, it's like Mark, Mark you know, Giapani going to score a gazillion goals this year. I don't know about that, I mean, but yeah, it, it helps that uh, Johnny Goudreau has been like maybe the third best player in the league this year. Yeah, he's been unbelievable this year. Yeah, he's like. Uh, in my uh, zone entry stats, like he is where McDavid usually is, oh, like, wow. right corner in terms of like controlling, can, turning, turning zone entries into scoring chances. He's been like far and away the best player. Well, McDavid's right behind him, but he's been the best player in the league in that category, which is kind of unheard of because that's usually 97's territory right there. Yeah. Still, he's just like they've just been they've been really good. Like, it's hard to really dispute that. And they have the secondary scoring on the line with Mangiapani, and I think Coleman's on that line. Yep, yep, yep. They move things. Guy, a guy a who, I that, just, is a, that is a pickup that is a perfect Daryl Sutter pickup, is it not? <laughs> yeah, the only thing I worry about with Calgary is that, like, the top of that roster, the, the first line is incredible. The second line really hasn't been producing that much. And the secondary scoring is kind of just Mangiapani and nobody else right now. But. Yeah just wonder when that dries up are they going to be as terrifying as they are right now i i don't know but they do have a goaltender which that's going to go a long way obviously they do they do and they have a they have a uh, coach that i think is kind of designed to make goaltenders look good uh yeah i my favorite is looking at jonathan quick stats with and without daryl sutter because they are uh very very different Oh. Yeah, and Mark Shroom, I think, is a better goalie than Jonathan Quick was. So yeah, that's uh, I don't I don't know. You're gonna get some angry Kings fans. Uh, I don't I don't know what are gonna be listening an hour plus into a Washington Capitals podcast, but if they are, uh, you know, you'll you get some angry tweets there. Although I I, I think you know I think it's 
they're, you know, it's, I think, I think it's, it's interesting with goalies. Cause that's kind of been my thing on Japers rank lately is kind of been saying like, maybe we actually don't know anything about goaltending anymore anyways. So. <laughs> I mean, I just look at what Carolina did. They let, Nadal, they let Nadelkovich go cause they didn't, I guess they either didn't want to pay him or they just wanted a veteran goaltender. They get Freddie Anderson two months off an injury where it just seemed like he was never going to be healthy. And he's been, I think he's got like the third best save percentage in the league right now. Yep. Yep. And we were all like going to write off Bob as being a $10 million disaster or whatever. And he's been probably the, your Vezina front runner at this point. So yeah, it's, it's been been a strange season. It's kind of tough to get a gauge on. I mean, I know who the really bad teams are, but as far as like the elite great teams, it's kind of tough to, like I, it's like we like I, what we started off the podcast with. There's just a lot of teams kind of in the same territory, which is why you're seeing so many like crazy games right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, and, and it's interesting, you know, because I think you, you, I think the for the Caps, like we've kind of looked at these this last little stretch as being like, oh, they're playing some really good teams, and you know, I think that they've, I, you know, I think that they've looked okay, uh, you know, but you look at kind of the underlings, particularly lately, and it's not been ideal, particularly kind of going into the third, you know, and both teams have had chances to make adjustments. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know what I think about the Caps. I mean, then again, like you would say, look, their entire second line is out right now. So maybe, maybe it, things are, things are just a little weird and we kind of, kind of need things to settle, I think, as, as the year goes on. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, with Washington's case, like you have to be happy that they're doing more than treading water with guys and with basically an AHL second line. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> With Beck Malenstein getting that. Yeah, exactly. It's basically what Pittsburgh's been doing for the last decade or so. Yep. 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 And uh, unlike Pittsburgh, the Caps, I think, are going to get some of their top guys back. So. Yeah. But, uh, all right. Well, Corey, we, we're at a we're at I think this is a new new high for us. I think we're at 70 minutes. So uh, this is but this has been a blast. I, we always always like having you come on. So uh, where can people find you? And uh, I know you're, you're doing different Patreon stuff these days. So this is what you um, you can find all my stuff at all three zones. Stuff. Sorry, my dogs are going crazy right now. But you can find uh, you can find me at all three zones.com or at shutdownline on Twitter. All three zones has a link to my Patreon and all the stats that I collect, player cards, all sorts of things I add this year for subscribers. And you can find my writing at McKean's Hockey. I'm going to do an article on the Caps this week just because I've enjoyed watching them. Uh, I've enjoyed watching them pull out wins with this roster. Yeah, yeah, I think I think we all have. So, uh, all right, and if you uh, like the show, please rate, rate, subscribe, review. Uh, I, I hope you like the show because, uh, you know, it's been going on for a while, but it's been it's always been a blast. And uh, if, yeah, if you like the show, uh, rate, rate, subscribe, review. You can follow the show at, at Japers Drink Radio. You can follow me at, at GregY underscore. And uh, next week we might have a big guest or it might be String and I, and I think they're going to be, it's going to be exciting no matter what. So uh, with that, uh, stay tuned and uh, look forward to talking to you next week.